2023, it was the second highest grossing movie uh, of the entire year. They made it with a budget of $100 million, and domestically it made over $575 million. Worldwide, $1.3 billion. It uh, is the highest grossing movie ever made that's based on a game. So they really hit big with this one. Uh, I watched it just a few weeks ago just to kind of familiarize myself with it as we're preparing for this. Uh, and it's a great kids movie. If you have kids uh, that really, you know, or they'll just love it. I think it's a great movie for them. For adults, if you grew up playing the games, there's enough things throughout the movie to really kind of remind you of your childhood. If you played Donkey Kong or Mario Brothers or whatever, like it's, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, the basic plot of the movie is this, and I won't give away everything in case you haven't seen it yet, but Mario and Luigi are brothers. Uh, and they are living in Brooklyn and they're trying to get their business off the ground and through a tragic turn of events they end up getting taken to another universe where they're separated and taken to two different kingdoms inside this universe and uh, Luigi gets taken to the dark lands where Bowser who's the evil character that you saw in the trailer uh, he's a terrifying evil character and he's caught Luigi and he's threatening his life and, and then they're separated so Mario goes to the mushroom kingdom where Princess Peach is in charge and uh, he realizes he's separated from his brother he understands his brother's in danger and he just wants to save his brother and through all of that realizes there's this epic battle between Bowser and the rest of the world Bowser is played by Jack Black and he loves Peach and so he actually writes a beautiful love song, one of the most intensely beautiful and glorious love songs called Peaches. And I highly recommend you watch the movie just for that fact alone, it's very deep. Um, but nevertheless, he wants Peach to fall in love with him and get married, and so he's destroying everything around him in order to impress her, and if she doesn't marry him, he's gonna destroy her too. Like, that's, that's what's happening. So Mario is now has to defend himself against you know, Bowser and he's got to rescue his brother and Peach and the whole world. It's, it's a really epic kid story. I really thought it was good uh, for that reason alone. But I'm sitting here thinking, you know, when we talk about how things in culture point to a greater stories, I thought, how is anyone in this room gonna identify with an animated character in a kid's movie? Right? But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that the themes in here are fairly applicable to all of us in that here's Mario and Luigi who feel alone. They feel like they're in a situation that's over their head and they're afraid. Honestly, I think we can all identify with that. In fact, the longer I've lived, the more I realize that you go through seasons of your life uh, where the circumstances get really overwhelming to the point where there are times when it feels crushing. Like we feel like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna clench myself up, I'm gonna harden myself, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna get through it. And then sometimes it's just overwhelming to the point where we feel crushed by it. We all have seasons of life that are difficult. And let me tell you, um, I meet people who are skeptical of God or really at the beginning of their journey with God. And one of their questions is always, okay, why is life so hard? Why are things so difficult? Why is there evil in the world? They wanna know. And let me tell you, the reality is that people who've been following Christ a long time have the same question. They come from a different angle, but they're asking God, why do you allow such hard times in our lives? I mean, why doesn't God just shield us from these moments? Have you ever asked that question? I think most of us have. And today we're gonna to look at a scripture that I think is gonna help us to answer that question. So if you're in the app or you go to lpguest.com in the sermon notes, I'm gonna share three things just to keep you walking with me as I share today. But we're gonna look at Matthew chapter 14 and it's a, it's a context of scripture. I think it's gonna be really applicable. But as we get ready to dig in, I'm, I'm gonna ask that we all pray. I'm gonna pray for all of us. You pray for you that God will speak to you in this moment, okay? Let's take a second. Father, 
I know that we all come from different points in our journey of faith. Some of us at the beginning and some of us have been following you for years, decades. God, use your scripture by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us right now. Help us to understand what it is you need us to know about you, about Jesus, and about ourselves. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, listen. So let me give you the context. And the first thing I'm going to share with you is this, is that Jesus never promised us a storm-free life. Jesus never promised us a storm-free life. In context, Jesus came on the scene and he got his 12 guys, his disciples, and he traveled with them for like three, three and a half years. And during that time, that's when he did miracles, he taught, and he gained a following, and he communicated the values of the kingdom of God. Um, at, you know, towards the end of his journey, towards the end of those three, three and a half years, uh, that's when this takes place. He has uh, fed a uh, uh, group of 5,000 people with a small lunch. He did this miracle and the people are just overwhelmed and they wanna make him king. The passage we're gonna look at is found in three different of the gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, and also in John. We're gonna look at it from Matthew, but I might borrow some things from those other two gospels just to kind of fill it out so you can kind of get a greater picture. But we're gonna look at Matthew. And like I said, the first thing I wanna say is that Jesus never promised us a storm-free life. He's got this crowd of people that wanna make him king because he can feed them. And here's what he does, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against him. So imagine the situation. Remember, he has just fed this huge crowd of people, and they're literally going to try to get him and make him king. And so he tells his disciples, get in the boat and go across to the other side. So now we know that this is the Sea of Galilee. Let me show you a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This lake, this sea was so large, it was like 12 miles from top to bottom, and it was eight miles across. So this is a very huge body of water. And he tells them, get in the boat and go to the other side. He goes up into the mountaintop to pray. He's dismissed the crowds and he's trying to get alone just to talk to God. And these guys are doing exactly what he told them. They're obeying Jesus and they run into a storm. They're on the lake and we know from the book of John, they're about halfway through. So think maybe three or four miles. It's the middle of the night and they're not making much headway. They should have been there by now, but the storm is literally against them and they can't get to where they're supposed to go. They're struggling in a storm, obeying Jesus. Isn't that interesting? You know, um, in the movie, what happens is Luigi and Mario, they, uh, they get their money together and they make a commercial to start their um, plumbing business. And so in doing so, they're ready to like, you know, take off and they get a customer and then they see there's this tragic situation in the city where all this water is out in the city and, and they think if we go down there and fix it, everyone's gonna know that we're great plumbers. So they go down there and they're just trying to help everyone. They go down into the, like the drainage system thinking, okay, we're gonna find the problem. And there they get sucked into a portal that takes them to these kingdoms. Now they're alone, separated and they're fighting for their life. They weren't doing anything wrong. Look. Sometimes you're not doing anything wrong. You didn't disobey God. You just found yourself in a storm. And we know there are storms that we create for ourselves, right? Sometimes people tell us don't do that. Like, and we hear it over and over again, and we just do it anyway. And then we find ourselves in a storm and we're like, okay, we created our own stuff. That happens. I understand that we're, we all do those kind of things. But most of the storms you go through in life, they just happen to you. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just part of living in a broken world. It happens to you. 
And I was thinking about all the different storms I've been through in my life and how they, most people have heard the same thing. That you're, you're gonna go through a financial storm at some point in your life. You're gonna struggle financially. You're gonna look at your finance and think, I don't know how I'm gonna make that bill. I, I don't know what's gonna happen with my job. You're gonna have a moment that seems like you're overwhelmed and you don't have any answers. There are gonna be moments for people when you have relationship strife. You're gonna lose a friend. You're gonna, you're gonna struggle with your spouse or your significant other. You're gonna be at odds with your parents. You're gonna be at odds with your kids. You're gonna, you might have a prodigal that's gone off the rails. Like we get into situations relationally that really hurt. And let me tell you about a storm that's coming for everybody at some point, and that's a health storm. You're gonna have a health issue at some point in your life, whether it's you or someone you love. You ever, you ever lose a friend you love? You've lived for a long time. Sometimes health issues, they get on you and it takes a long time and sometimes they never go. Here's the thing, you and I are gonna experience storms and maybe some of you came in today and you're in the middle of it. Jesus didn't promise us a storm-free life and I think a lot of people, they get skeptical of God because they think, why can't things just be better? Why can't they be perfect? Why doesn't God shield us from this stuff? And it really shocks them. It keeps them kind of off guard. And, and then people you know, who are followers of Christ, they'll say, you know, okay, God, where are you in the midst of this storm? And it causes the question. I want you to know that's normal. But here's what I want you to see is that storms require us to focus on Jesus. Storms require us to focus on Jesus. Here's what happened. Remember, the winds against them, verse 25, and the fourth watch of the night, that think like three or four in the morning. The fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, if you've been a Christian or grown up in church, you've heard this story a lot, right? But I want you to think about it from the angle of the boat. Like, imagine you were there. You're with all these experienced, you know, fishermen who've been in boats their whole life, and you're in there, and you're watching what's happening. It's the middle of the night. The only light around you might have been inside the boat itself. And then all of a sudden, you see someone walking, and you're like, you're freaked out. That's what was going on. These guys were freaked out. It says they were terrified over and over. They were afraid. Jesus calls out to them, don't be afraid. And they're afraid. Why? Because this isn't normal. This is really scary for them. And they're afraid. But in the middle of this, Peter says, well, if it's really you, call to me and I'll come out on the water. That's pretty bold. Then Jesus says, well, come on out. Peter gets out of the boat and for a second, for just a minute, he's walking on water. Now listen, yeah, he gets afraid again. He sees the wind, he takes his eyes off Jesus. He gets afraid, he starts to sink, he cries out. But for a minute, while he's focused on Jesus in the midst of a storm, he's walking on water. He's doing something you can't do because he's focused, his faith is focused on Jesus. Look, there's only two people that have ever walked on water that we know of in scripture. Jesus, who invented water, Right, I get that, he's supernatural. He doesn't have to obey the laws of nature. But Peter, he's just a guy, like me, walking on water. 
in the midst of a storm because he's focused on Jesus. Look, we're all going to face them. We're all going to face storms in our life. The question is, are you going to focus on your circumstance or on Jesus? Because when you focus on circumstances, here's what's going to happen. Your fear and your anxiety are going to rise up. And here's why. Because whatever you're afraid of is a legitimate fear probably. Like you could lose something that you love or you care about. And it, it really is a struggle, right? So when you focus on those things, they just grow. And yet the storm requires that we focus all the more on Jesus. Do you know what scripture says? Is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He has a purpose for this whole thing. I, um, I love Baptism Sunday. Um, one of my favorite things I get to do as a pastor is to witness and watch people take steps of faith in their journey and they get baptized. I, um, you know, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Dean talked, don't, don't tell him I confused him <laughs> with Jesus. Dean spoke last week about Jesus Revolution, the movie, and he talked about how that generation, young people, raised up in, in following Christ, they changed the world. And uh, today we got to baptize some, some young people in our first service, and it was just awesome to see how the young generation is taking steps with Jesus. And I, I'm hopeful, I'm prayerful that that generation will change the world. But I did a baptism several years ago that I'll never forget. It was from my buddy Mark. Now, Mark's a big dude. I think six foot five and at least 260. I might be being generous there because I really like him, but he's a big, big fella. And he wants to get baptized. And you probably can't tell because I look so imposing up here, but I'm just not that big or strong. Like I'm thinking this is bad. So I had him sitting on his butt. I'm like, okay, look, I'm going to take you down. I almost got baptized with him that day. I will never, never do that again. Like I'm, I'm, there's a certain size, I'm out, right? I'm tapping, you know. So Mark though, he came to Christ in his mid-40s. And he, I, I got to witness him just take those steps of faith and grow in his faith. But not long after that, he lost his job. And he was in a men's life group with me that met every week. And, and we would talk about, you know, how are you doing? And he was calm as he could be through the whole thing. Week after week, month after month, this, this whole you know, unemployment season. And we would ask him, how are you doing? He says, I'm doing great. I've never felt more peace. And I'm like, are you serious? People would ask him, how are you doing? He goes, Ed, listen. I know Jesus has a purpose for my life, and I trust him. He goes, if this had happened a year ago, completely different. But isn't it like that? That when we focus on Christ, it changes the way we experience the storm. And listen, there is nothing more powerful than when you're in the midst of a storm than to have complete peace. There is no greater witness to who Jesus is and what he does in our life and his promises than those who are going through the storm and focused on Christ. Now, do I wish it wasn't true? Yes, I wish it was different, but the reality is that God uses those storms for something bigger. In fact, let me say this last part, is that sometimes it takes a storm to recognize who Jesus really is. Sometimes it takes a storm for us to recognize who Jesus really is. Here's what he says here in verse 31. Remember, Peter cries out, which, by the way, pretty good prayer when you're in a storm. It's totally legitimate. Lord, save me. Totally fine. I want you to memorize that prayer. Lord, save me. So he cries out. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and took his hand and took hold of him and saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you're the son of God. I mean, can you imagine and, and I think depending on how you read the story and, the, and how the tone is, like I see Jesus going, 
Peter, why'd you doubt? Man, you were on the water. Now, when I read this, though, it's hard not to think that this is a complete setup. I mean, think about it. He's in a mountainside, and the guys are on a lake, a sea, that's 12 miles long and eight miles wide. I mean, it's huge. It's the middle of the night with no lights. And he's walking along. I don't know if it's his habit to like just walk along on the water just for fun. I don't know. I mean, if I could, maybe I would. But he just happens to be walking by straight to the boat. It's almost as if this whole thing was planned. And let me show you why I think that. Early in their ministry, like first, the first, you know, he grabs his 12. They're just kind of starting out. They had another storm. This time Jesus was in the boat with them. And these guys are experienced fishermen, remember? But the storm hits them so hard, water's getting into the boat to the point where they're starting to panic and they think they're gonna die. Jesus is asleep. Like who sleeps through a storm like that? Jesus does. He doesn't seem to be worried at all. He's completely in control in the midst of what we think is not in control, right? So they go to him like, Jesus, wake up. What's the matter with you? Wake up, we're all gonna die. And so he wakes up and he's like, and he gets up in front of them, you know, he's like, calm down, and everything calms down. But here's what they say, Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. Actually, I think we're going to have it up here on this little screen. Here's what he says. Well, after, he heal, after he calms down the storm, it says, and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Do you see what's happening here? They're in a storm, and Jesus calms the storm, and their first thought was, who is this guy? He is not like us at all. Now let's fast forward a couple years later. This time, Jesus isn't in the boat. Remember, the first storm, they could see him, they could wake him up. This time, they're not, uh, he's not in the boat, and he walks to him. Remember, he gets in the boat, immediately the wind dies down, and here's what it says. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, what went from they marveled in awe, basically like, who are you? Now they're worshipping him, and they're saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now they realize who he really is. And let me tell you something. The reason I believe this is a setup is because they needed both storms to get there. And these guys, these weren't just any guys. Literally, Jesus handpicked them to be part of the foundation of how he was gonna communicate the message of the gospel to the whole world. In order for them to do the very thing that God intended for their lives, they needed to recognize Jesus and who he was. They weren't gonna get there without it. And let me tell you something, you in the room, me, we will not get to the place God wants us to be. We will not fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives until we recognize Jesus for who he really is. We need to recognize who he is, his promises, his character, and his desires for the world. And when we recognize him, we trust in him, God puts us in position to do the very thing we were intended to do. You will never be the best version of yourself until you've connected to the one who is the author and perfecter of your faith. We need storms sometimes. I wish that wasn't true, like I said, but it is true. I think... And this is the problem that's true of me and it's true of you, is we get so caught up in our stuff, our ambitions, our goals, 
the things that we love, our you know, elations and, and hobbies and our work, our own drama. We get so caught up in those things that sometimes we just don't recognize Jesus at all. We just don't. And we ask ourselves, you know, well, well what, what is it that's going to have to happen for us to wake up to the reality of Christ? Well, sometimes it's a storm. Sometimes it's people like, it's even in God's mercy he wakes us up. Let, let me give you an example. Several years ago, I was working at our West Rural campus at the time, and um, I got a text from a friend of mine. Uh, he said, hey, Ed, uh, I got a, a guy at, at the ICU at St. Anne's I want you to go visit. His name is Gary Ruckel. He goes, his son is a friend of mine. His son lives down in, Minnesota, or in Mississippi. He's a minister. Um, but he, he says his dad is in the ICU. He's in really bad shape, and he's not a believer. And wondered if you might go and pray with him in the hospital. Now, look, if you do what I do for a living, you, that's, that's the call you get, right? And you, you pretty much you have to say yes. And, but I told him, sure, I'll go. But as I was going on through the day, here's what I started thinking. I've been to the ICU a bunch of times, and in the ICU, the patient is never awake. They're usually out cold. They're, you can't, they can't comprehend anything. It's usually really bad. That's why they're in the ICU. And I started thinking, I'm a complete stranger. As soon as I show up, the nurses are going to ask me why I'm there. And the family's going to be like, why are you here? And so I started to really question whether or not I should go. So there was my buddy, Mark, was there. And I said to Mark, I'm like, hey, Mark, what do you think about this? And I'm just telling him. And here's what Mark said. Hey, Ed, why don't you just pray and then go? I'm like, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> Duh, I mean. <laughs> so I prayed. I said, God, I, I belong to you. I'm your servant. Help me to honor you and represent you well. Please be with me and help me do the very thing you want me to do. And so I just said a quick prayer. I went off to ICU, or I went to St. Anne's. I said, hey, uh, Gary Ruckle's in the ICU. I'm here to see him. Can you point me in the right direction? And they said, here's where you're going. So I just kind of kept my head down and walked to the ICU. And I walk into the ICU, and I couldn't have been more shocked that Gary is awake, and he's the only one in the room. It was perfect. The only problem was he had a tube in his mouth and he couldn't talk. So when I went in, I realized it was just going to be yes or no questions. And so I introduced myself and said, hey, I'm a pastor. Oftentimes, you know, people like me might go into a hospital and help people just in their faith and connect to God at moments like this. And he's like, okay. And I said, I said, Gary, I said, are you familiar with the gospel? Would it be okay with you if I shared it with you? And he said, yes. He shook his head, yes. I'm like, okay. So I said, Gary, God is in heaven and he's eternal and heaven is perfect and holy and God is holy but God's desire when he made us was that all of us would have a relationship with him I said that is the way God has always been his top desire is that we would know him and so he does that but we all if the Bible says have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God so we all basically put our hand in God's face and say I'm doing this my way that's what sin does it breaks the relationship with God and because we're sinners and heaven is eternal, we can't be in relationship with God. We can't just come to heaven because then we ruin heaven with our sin. So we're at a problem state. And now here's what we do. We all look at other people and their sin and think, well, I'm not so bad. But the reality is all of us sin. So I'm explaining this to Gary. I said, that's the problem. I said, but God loves us too much to leave us in this situation. He sends his son down to live the perfect life that we can't live. And he goes on the cross and accepts all of the punishment that we were due. So all the justice of God gets poured out and Jesus takes all of it. That's justice. But the grace and mercy of God is on display when Jesus rises from the grave and he now is alive and he calls all of us to become his followers. So anyone who comes to him in faith, their sins would be washed away, that his blood metaphorically, if not physically, literally washes our sin away so that we could be made right with God. It says, he made him, Jesus who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's how we're made right with God. 
I said, Gary, have you heard this before? He goes, yeah. I said, Gary, a lot of times I, I meet people who've, who've heard this message of the gospel, and they actually believe it's true, but they live their life as if it doesn't matter. I said, Gary, is that the case with you? And he just shook his head. I said, Gary, can I be honest with you? I don't know how much time you have left. And he did this. I said, Gary, do you, do you think it's too late? He, you could just see it in his body language. He's just like, yeah, it's too late for me. I said, can I share a story with you that Jesus told that might help you? He said, yeah. I said, Jesus told the story about this vineyard and the owner of the vineyard, his foreman and the workers. And he, the owner tells the foreman, it's early in the morning, go down to the marketplace and find people to work and give them a day's wage. And so they, he gets some people and they all go back and they're working. About noon, the foreman or the owner comes to the foreman and says, hey, we need more workers. So the, the foreman goes back to the marketplace and says, hey, anyone who's willing to come work, I'll give you a day's wage. And they gets more people. About two o'clock, the owner's like, hey, we need more people. And so he goes down at like, like two o'clock and gets more people. At four o'clock, an hour left of the day, he goes and says, we need more workers. So at four o'clock, the, the foreman goes to the marketplace and says, anyone who's willing to come and work, I'll give you a day's wage. And so he gets more workers. They come down. At the end of the day, when everything is done, the owner comes in and starts paying people, and he pays everybody a day's wage. But the people who were there first start to complain. They start to get angry, and they're like, how is it fair that these people who were here at the end of the day and only worked an hour are getting paid the same as us and we've been here all day? And the owner said, why are you angry? I gave you exactly what I promised. Are you angry that I'm willing to be generous to other people? I said, Gary, Jesus told this story because it's not about us. It's not about how much work we do. It's about God and his generosity. It's about his grace and mercy. And for us, it doesn't matter how long we've been working or how short, that what matters is that we receive the call and we accept that. We accept the invitation that we come to him and receive his generosity and his grace and mercy. I said, Gary, can I ask you something? Would you like to receive the grace and mercy of God to have your sins forgiven and to walk with him and know you're in relationship with him? And he's like, yes. So we prayed together. I looked at him and said, Gary, I said, I don't know how long you're going to be here. I don't know if I'll ever see you again, but I promise you one day I am going to see you again. I just prayed over him. I said, God bless you, and I left. A couple weeks later, I'm at a service in Westerville, and I'm teaching, and, and at the end, I told this story because I wanted the people of Westerville to know here's what's happening in your community, and here's what God is doing. I was, I was just wanting to brag on God and what he did, right? Well, at the end of the service, you know, I'm kind of coming out, and there was a guest in the background that I didn't recognize, a very tall man, and so I thought, oh, I'll go introduce myself to him. I go up to talk to him. I say, hey, my name is Ed. He says, my name is Ryan, Ryan Ruckle. And that guy you just told the story about, that's my dad. I was shocked. I'm like, are you serious? So he said, listen, Ed, I just wanted to come and thank you. I've been sharing the gospel with my dad for 20 years, and it's been like throwing a BB against a brick wall. And let me tell you something, he's different. He's full of peace like I've never seen him. I said, how's he doing physically? He goes, not good. But he's full of peace now. I was just blown away. Several weeks later, I did Gary's funeral, was able to share the gospel and share his story with all of his friends. And I bring it up because it was in the mercy of God that he allowed a health storm in Gary's life because that's what it was going to take for him to wake up and see and recognize Jesus. And sometimes that's the only way it's going to happen. Unfortunately, 
So here's what I would say to you. If you came in here today and you're facing a storm, look, I wish that God would shield us from every storm. Like, I get that. But sometimes he allows us to go through storms and he has a purpose for those. And if you're here and you're in the midst of a storm, understand what he requires of you right now is to focus on Jesus, to cling to him. You can cry out to him. You can ask him to save you. You can ask him to fix it. You have, I mean, you can pour it out, but your goal is really to focus on him and let him do what he's trying to do in and through your life. The people who I've met who have the most faith, who seem to be the kind of people that I wanna be with when it gets hard, those kind of people, what I've learned about them, their faith didn't just get like that. They got scars from storms where God used them, built in them, and now he's using them to really impact the world to point to Jesus. That's how they get there. And maybe for some of you, that's where he's trying to go with your life. For some of you, you're past some storms and God just wants to use you to help influence others. But maybe you're here and you could identify with Gary, that you've heard the story, you've believed it's true, you just lived your life like it doesn't matter. You're thinking, why, you know, why doesn't he just stop all this? Because isn't that what happens in the movies? If you watch the movie, you know what one of my favorite parts is? Like, it's coming down to the end, and there's this climactic battle between Bowser and Mario, and Bowser is just literally ready to kill Mario, and he's got this flame-throwing, you know, all this fire is coming out, and it's coming right at Mario, and it's going to kill him, and right at the last second, Luigi, who's been kind of absent this whole time, comes up with this shield, and he blocks the fire, and Mario is saved. Isn't that how we see it in the movies? Isn't that what we want? Here's what I'll tell you. There's a storm that you and I face that we cannot stand up to. And that's what sin does to us. We can't fix our problem when it comes to us and God. If we're disconnected from him because of sin, we can't fix that somehow. So Jesus comes down and he literally shields us from the wrath of the anger of God towards all sin. And he takes every ounce of it on the cross that anyone who comes and stands behind him in faith and allows him to be their savior, he takes all of the wrath. He drinks every drop of it. And he says to anyone who's willing, who's, who wants to have faith in him, I will give you my grace and mercy. I will forgive you of your sin and wash you clean that you can be in right relationship with the Father. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I wanna help you walk that step. I'll help you do that here. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask that you stay seated this time and just kind of close your eyes and bow your head and let's talk to God. I want you to have a minute. Look, some of you guys, you're in the midst of a storm. I want you to talk to God about the storm. I'm gonna talk to you in a second, but I want you just to quietly pray and, and start telling him, God, I need your help to focus on Jesus in the midst of the storm. That's what I want you to cry out to him. Just in this moment, kind of close your eyes and bow your head, everyone talking to God. If you would say, I might be just like Gary, that I believe this is true, but I've never taken the step to make it real in my heart. Here's what I want you to do. You can pray. Prayer is just simply, you can pray in your mind or whisper it out of your mouth. God is reading your heart. That's what he's concerned about right now. And just talking to him in your mind or through your mouth, you're literally having the opportunity to connect to God. That's what prayer is. Here's what I want you to do, just tell God. Say, God, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus, and I believe he rose from the grave. I know that he died for my sin. I believe that. Just tell him that. Then here's what it says. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's how you do that. You simply say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I'm asking you, would you please forgive me of my sin? 
I'm sorry. I'm asking you, Jesus, would you come into my life and save me of my sin and then help me to follow you. Help me to know and sense what you want me to do and help me just to take those steps to follow you. Just say that prayer to him. You need to understand it's that simple step of faith that God requires. Jesus already paid for your sin. He already did all of the work. He's just asking you come to him in faith and turn to him in faith. And when you make that step, you are made right with the Father in heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. What it means to follow Christ is that when you, when you read in scripture, you understand what, what God is leading you to do, you simply try to obey. You try to follow his lead. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect, you're gonna make mistakes. But let me say to you, just in this moment while we're all praying, heads are down, like, I'm gonna help you take a first step. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. It's a big deal to him. So I'm gonna give you a chance to acknowledge your faith before me and God. All I'm gonna ask you to do is just raise your hand up and say, Ed, I want you to see, and God in heaven, I want you to see. If that's you and you just prayed that prayer today and today is your day, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand up high enough I can see it. Yes, I see you there up front. Anyone else? Raise your hands up high enough I can see. Yes, many of you. Hold them high. Yes, I see you over here on my right. Anyone else? Yes, I see you back there. Anyone else? Just, you want God to see. I'm gonna ask you to put your hands down. God, I pray that you would, just as you start to lead these folks who are taking first steps with you, help them to sense your peace. Help them to sense you leading them. God, I pray you would put people in their life that can help them walk this journey of faith. God, I know there are many people in this room that are in the midst of a storm, and I pray your mercy over their life. God, would you walk with them? Would they start to really focus on you? That instead of focusing on their fear, Lord, they would be able to focus on you and your character. Lord, have your way. Lord, you, you're doing something. God, would you help us to cling to you in the midst of the storm? Don't let us go, Lord Jesus. And Lord, for those in the room that are maybe seasoned by storms, Lord, I pray you would use their life to be an encouragement to others around them of what it means to follow you. And I ask that in your son's holy name.